I'm glad when I came over to this side, I heard the, I think the college of teenagers singing beautifully over there, so I appreciate that. Um, Sam mentioning that our lives are a vapor made me think of many things. One of the things that reminded me is driving down the road with my, I don't know what he is, Max, my brother-in-law's brother. <laughs> he was Max. Like, what? And uh, he, he said, uh, hey, that car's on fire. And we looked at that. I said, no, that's someone vaping in the car. And, uh, you know, have you ever seen that? The, just a billow of smoke that comes in there or vapor that comes in. But that's, that's the way, you know, we think it's solid. It looks solid, and it's really not. It's just, it just dissipates so quickly. And so we, uh, you know, Julia at this moment is in Houston. Uh, she and Angel went to her uh, brother-in-law's funeral at 56. He just, they don't even know how. He just died in the backyard. Just, they, they're not sure what happened. Um, and so, you know, our life uh, goes quickly. Uh, I received a, a phone call uh, just a minute ago, uh, not a minute ago, but an hour ago, uh, and the reason I got this here is my grandson's in the hospital. Uh, he is, he's fine, he's got pneumonia, um, but uh, anyway, he's in ICU right now. So uh, you can be praying for him. Uh, the doctor said, uh, which one, which grandson? I only got seven. <laughs> The oldest, Hayden, excuse me. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a little distracted right now. <laughs> Hayden, yeah. Uh, and, uh, but the, um, the pneumonia that he has responds, usually responds very quickly to antibiotics, but you can keep him in your prayers. He's in uh, Huntsville Hospital, and I just received a text on that saying he's in ICU. So anyway, <clears throat> a lot of what Sam said introduces the lesson. He talked about uh, the new covenant. And putting that into effect. And really, that's what we're going to be looking at, uh, along with some other things that he said, where we're looking at this word trust is going to be part of our lesson today. I don't like this title, Fact, Agree, Trust, but it's the best thing I could do uh, under, under my circumstances. But it's our journey of faith and love, and that's what First John is all about. You know, we could sum this down. I like, you, you, if you've been with me long enough, you know I like to put things in one word if I can. And then that one word, I'll say a lot about it. You know that too. But, you know, one word that can sum up things, I'm going to give you two. There's two keys, two words in the Christian life that can, that, that can really sum it all up. And these words will take a lifetime to learn and to even begin understanding. These words are words that we will grow in. Uh, mature in. Uh, they're difficult to put into practice. At the same time, they're so fundamental to our Christian living that if we miss this, I mean, it's, this is where we really start. And those two words are faith and love. Faith and love. And all the explanation and information and reminders that John is giving in this little letter are tied up in a word, no. He uses this word over and over. You know this. You know that. And they're really meaningless. That's meaningless unless you believe it. He says, you know this. And if you don't believe it, if you don't have that faith, then it's, it's truly meaningless. And so we know these things. We grow in, these, this, in our faith and our love as we begin to put these into practice. There's something that's our, our, the rest of our lives. I, I asked permission to use this quote, but not this picture, and I'll go ahead and do it anyway. Emily Palmer, 
Well, that's just a pretty picture, isn't it? Emily Palmer on her Facebook post said this, and I thought it was great. We're all amateurs when it comes to love and faith. Don't be too hard on each other. I was tempted to ask her, were you really listening to the sermons and you you came up with that? But I didn't want to be disappointed myself, so (laughs) I didn't ask her that. But I said, can I use that in my first John series? And she said, yes. And that's not to say there's some of us who may be more mature in these two areas of faith and, and love. We're growing in it. But even the strongest will see our need to continue to grow in our faith and grow in our love. In fact, I I would think the more mature you are, the more you realize how far you need to go. I remember as a freshman at college that I I thought I I had achieved. I, I really could not think of anything I needed to change in my life. And quit laughing. I was a freshman. I was very young. And I thought, because things were going wonderfully at that time. And I was growing in my faith. And I realized, I just thought I'd, I'd, I'd reached the peak. I look back at that and think how, how little I knew at the time. And maybe that's why ignorance was bliss. Um, but we grow in, in this. And this is not to say that this is an excuse for a lack of faith or a lack of love. We're not saying, well, we're all amateurs, so... It doesn't matter. She's not saying that. We're not saying that. John's not saying that. But it's a realization that we're in this family together. We're in the family of love. We're, we, have, we share a common faith. And we have miles and miles to go before we sleep, to kind of paraphrase Robert Frost's uh, poem. And when we realize that, we look at our lives and say, you know, we have a long ways to go. But we're growing in our faith and we're growing in our love. And that's, that's why we're here. That's why we come together and have this time of communion each week. That sometimes we think, well, we just do the same thing over and over. But it, it refocuses our thoughts, refocuses our life. That's why we share from God's Word and sing the same songs over and over because they refocus us. And that's what we really need. Um, these next two and a half verses, we're going to look at two and a half verses today, which is incredible. Uh, and it's going to help us in that journey of faith and love. Let's read it together. Verses 14 through 16. And this is, I'm going to re- re- reread these uh, at each point. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. And that's halfway through verse 16. And the very first thing as I was looking at these verses is I see that faith is based in fact. Verse 14. Let me reread verse 14. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be Savior of the world. You know this if you've been with us. How that John will continually repeat himself. He keeps coming back and he's not... He's not an old man who can't remember what he said. He's not repeating himself like some of us older people do because we don't remember what we said five minutes ago. He is saying these things because they're important. He's trying to emphasize some things. So in verse 14, if you remember all the way back to chapter 1, verse uh, 1 and three, uh, one through 3, he, he's, he's saying the same thing here. He's repeating himself. And it brings us back to this basic and fundamental and important understanding. One, chapter 1, he says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, and which we have seen with our eyes, 
which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life, that the life appeared. We have seen it and we testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that which we have seen and heard. And you can't miss it if you read it carefully. He's talking about reality here. He's talking about something that happened to him. He's expanding on love. He's talking about love in this section. He's expanding on it. And he says, but this God love that I'm talking about is based in some solid fact. In verse 16, when we get there, he's going to point back to verse 14 and 15. And he says that the knowledge and trust in the love of God is based in this fact. Again, he's going to remind us. And so if we're to understand love of God, if we're to understand God love and God's love for us, it is rooted in something that happened in history. It's rooted in a reality. What is this fact? John assures us. He says, I am an eyewitness to this. I saw this. I have seen it. I testify to it. And those words are um, legal words, court words. When you go before a judge and you, you testify and you, you, you know, uh, put your hand on a Bible or, you know, I affirm, I swear to tell the truth. You know, that's what this is talking about. It's a, it's a, it's a testimony. It's not... Just, oh, something funny happened to me. This is, this is real. I'm testifying to what I have seen. What I'm telling you, John says, all these things that you know, all these things I'm reminding you of is not based in something that's just made up. We're not talking about philosophy here. I like philosophy. I read some philosophical books. But it's one man's idea and another person's idea. We're not talking about theory. Theory's okay. But that's not what we're talking about here. This is not guesswork. This is not assumptions. This is testimony. And it stands the test of time. And it's based, John says, on what I saw. I saw this. What we have seen. A powerful word. A strong word. Not an illusion. Not something I saw one time and reporting to you. You know, have you ever heard, uh, talked to someone who saw a ghost? Or saw a UFO just this one time? None of you have? Well, let me tell you a story. No. <laughs> you know, you, you know you, these weird things that happen, and you don't know what to do with them. You go, oh, okay. But it's not based in, you know, something solid. It's not an experience that happened over and over. This word means attentive inspection. It means a long and deliberate gaze. It's study that interprets what one is uh, studying, what one is seeing. And it happened over a long period of time. So it's not something that just happened once and there's a story made up and you can pull the wool over someone's eye here. We get the word from this, from this particular word, we get our word theater. Theater from this word. And if you think about it, what do you do in a theater? Uh, besides being entertained, all right? If you're watching a play, especially one that's complex that has a meaning behind it, you listen, you watch it, you think as you go along, and you begin to understand it. 
And that's what John is saying. He says, this is important because it's solid evidence. I'm not talking about someone just gave me a story and we talked about it and we made up something. This is something I saw with my own eyes over a period of time. And I wasn't just glancing at it. I gazed at him and I thought about it and I heard what he said. I took it in and I, I explored it in my mind and I went back to it over and over and over again. And this tense, the tense of the word, it means that something happened in the past but it's affecting me right now, and it will affect me in the future. It's one of these neat tenses that just goes from the past all the way to the future. And he says, this is something that happened in my past, but it's affecting me right now. It's changing me right now, and I know it's going to continue to change me in the future. So what was it that John and others saw? He said, we. He says, this is my testimony. I, saw, I know that the Father sent the Son as Savior of the world. And that's an, an enormous impact in John's day. In John's day, many of the Roman emperors were called Savior of the world. Augustus was, I think, called Savior of humankind or something like that. And so many of the emperors, emperors took this, this title, Savior of the world or Savior of humanity. Literally, the word here says, the Son, Savior of the world. And it's like, it's like making a statement here. The Son, and here's this title. Savior of the world, a standard against all other people who claim to be saviors of the world. You know, we have saviors today. You're hearing a lot about our saviors today. They're promising us great things, right? What, what's, uh, I, I can't even remember. I, I don't have a TV, so I stay away from a lot of the politics. But, you know, it's uh, uh, make America great again. Is that one of them? All right, what's the other one? Huh? What? Who knows? All, all they're doing is promising you, you utopia, right? All right, don't, get, don't start thinking about those folks, okay? Come back to me, all right? Come back here. Because, see, they are saying to you, you I, will make, I will give you utopia. It's going to be great. Life is going to be wonderful if you vote for me. I'm going to give you free, and just a list you. You can have free this and free that, and everything will be wonderful and happy. I'm the savior of the world, of America at least, is what these folks are saying. And they always fall short. It doesn't matter who it is. They're, they're humans. They're not sa the savior of the world. You vote for who you want to, whoever you think will do better, but they're not the savior of the world. Jesus is the Savior of the world, not just from our sins. Oh, yeah, we need our sins forgiven. But we need our fears taken care of, our inconsistencies, our habits. You need to be saved from some habits, don't you? Anxieties. Some of you come in here with anxieties today. Foolishness. How many of us lived a moment of foolishness this past week? Boy, you need to be saved from that, don't you? And that's why the Savior of the world has come. Yes, to save you of your sins, but to save you from all that and more. And it's based on this fact. It's based on a fact that we live in agreement with. We're agreeing with God on something. And this is in verse uh, 15. We agree with God and we live in God. Verse 15, to remind us again, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. He calls us into agreement here with his testimony. John says, listen. I saw this, I stake my life on it, I stake my eternal destiny on this, 
And, and I know this is your stance also. I know this is what you believe in. He says, if anyone acknowledges, all of you, uh, of you who acknowledge this, you're faced with a fact, you're faced with a reality in your life, and this verse is going to sum that up. What do they acknowledge? What's the reality of their life? Look at that word acknowledge. Some of you have, have a different word. In, in fact, it's used about six times in 1 John. And the first time we use it again, he's, he's reminding us. He's going back. He's, you pick up on these words and you go all the way back to the beginning of 1 John. In 1 John 1 verse 9, he uses it. I think I have it on the screen. He says, if we confess our sins, and that's the same word. In our, in our English, it says confess. It's acknowledge. Some of your translations may say it, it both ways. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. He's saying here, if we say the same thing about our sins as God says about our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us. I'm tempted to re-preach that lesson. Boy, that was a good one. <laughs> but I won't. Chapter 2, verse 23, he uses the same word. And he uses the antonym also, the opposite word, deny, here where he says, no one who denies, and that's just the opposite, the antonym of acknowledge. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. And then in chapter 4, verses 2 and 3 and 15 here, he uses it again. And literally, this word means to agree with, to say the same thing as another. Uh, to uh, it strictly, it, it strictly literal uh, translation is same word. Whatever God says, I say. That's what it's, it's, it means. Sometimes we think of confession more, at, uh, more along the lines of profession, to profess something. Than a confession. Professing something means to declare it openly. And so sometimes when we say, you know, we confess our sins, it's like we, we have to come forward and we have to publicly declare. That's a profession. Confession means I agree with. And of course we have to use words to do that, and it can be public. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's not its primary sense. It means I'm saying yes to something. And so I paraphrase verse 23 of chapter 2 this way. You can't say no to the Son and claim a relationship with the Father. Whoever says yes to the Son also is saying yes to the Father. And that's that same word when we're saying yes. And so what, what confession really means is whatever God says, I'm agreeing with. What do we acknowledge? What do we say yes to God about? What's this, what are we saying the same thing that God says? Jesus is the Son of God. Earlier in chapter 4, <clears throat> verse 2, there was the confession, the acknowledgement that Jesus came in the flesh. He was human. Here it's of his divinity. I confess his humanity. I confess his, his uh, divinity. I agree with God that this, I don't know how it happens. I can't understand it. I just have been told it and I believe it. That there was a man who was God. And there was God who was man. And he was in the person of Jesus. With Jesus, it's not either or. He was both. He's something unique, never to be repeated in history. 2,000 years ago, something unique happened. God entered into humankind. God himself insert, inserted himself into the physical world by becoming a man. 
He came for the express purpose of redeeming the world, of taking punishment of sins upon himself, to right what we cause to be wrong, to fix what needs to be repaired that we, we can't repair. And the result of that is unbelievable. The reality that comes from this confession that Jesus is the Son of God, we can't understand. He says, this is it. God lives in us, and we live in Him. All through this section, John is reminding us with this word of living in Him. We, we spent a, a quite a, a bit of time last week on it. This abiding in Him, living in Him. He reminds us of something that is remarkable. And if you think about it, it's impossible. Twenty-four times in this letter, he tells us over and over. He reinforces this incredible fact. He says, God is in you. God didn't come just to take away your sins. God didn't come just to die for your sins. But he came to bring you into a, a, an abiding union with him. He came so you'll have a relationship with him like no other relationship. There's a unique relationship that God desires and has with those who believe. His, div- his divine nature some way is part of our human frame. His strength is shown in my fragility. His power is in my weakness. How in the world? How impossible? Not, I, uh, I can understand it for you spiritual folks out there. But for me, it's remarkable. It's impossible. It's fantastic. It's unbelievable. So what do we do with this concept? How do I process that which cannot be processed. God in me. How can I even process that? That's where we come to the next verse. Verse 16. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. We have to trust in God's love. Here, hand in hand, go knowing and trusting. He says this. Listen carefully. And so. I used to just kind of read over words quickly. Maybe it's my age. Maybe I get older and can't read as fast. I start reading slower and think, and so. Why and so? He's saying this. Based on what I've said, John is saying, based on my deep study and observation of this man over several years, based on the fact that I saw a spear driven into his side, into his heart, while he was dead, seemingly dead on the cross, confirmed that he was dead. Based on the fact that I was devastated and fearful when I was told his tomb was empty. Based on the fact that I ran to his tomb and I went in and I saw these grave clothes and they were arranged in such a way that he didn't unwrap himself. He just went through them. The grave clothes were there, just laying there. Based on that and 40 days of seeing him. Forty days I saw him over and over after I knew he, he had died, that he was raised from the dead. Based on those facts and so much more, I acknowledge, I stand in agreement that Jesus is the Son of God. And I live my life accordingly. As Sam was saying in the communion, the application, how do you say it, the blood of the, of the new covenant is living my life out. 
That's what the blood of you. And so he says, based on this, this is how I live my life. Whatever God has said, that means at this point, whatever God says through his word, what he shows me, whatever he says is true. When he says, this is your position in regards to me, I believe him. Whatever he says about my life. And when he says this incredible thing in chapter 3, verse 1, how, what the great love God has that he's called you now his children. I took a picture and I meant to put it on my screen. I went to, you know, last week, if you were awake last week during this time, uh, I said, you know, that verse is so wonderful. You should stick it on your mirror and just look at it all week. Monday morning, I wake up and I stumble into the bathroom and guess what's on my mirror? I didn't put it on there. It's still there. Julie wrote that out. She stuck it up there. So I, and it just, you know, I'm, I'm talking about it woke me up. I'm not a real big morning person. But I looked at that and I just smiled. Not only for what she had done, but just that concept, that thought. Is it true? Is it true? Well, based on what John says, I saw this. I know he's the son of God. And if he says, you're my child, I believe it. That's where the trust, do I feel like I'm his child? Do I always act like I'm his child? Do I deserve to be his child? No. But he said, you are. So I am. Whatever he says about the world. You know, I like a lot of, a lot of things about the world. There's a lot of good stuff. In some ways, you know, I like grandchildren. I like kayaking. I like walking down by the river. A lot of beauty in the world, a lot of good things in the world. But, you know, when the world, when Jesus says, when God says, yeah, but the world is passing away, it, it's not permanent. Don't, don't put your roots down here. It wakes me up and says, you know, that's right. As beautiful as this world is, as wonderful as it is. You know, I love reading good books. That's going to pass away. Love a lot of, a lot of good stuff. Good food. God gave the, all those things for us to enjoy, he says. But they're passing away. So whatever he says, I believe it. Whatever he says about forgiveness and love and faith, I heartily agree with him. And thus, he says, you know. He lives in you. And you live in him. And so, you who do the same, he says, know and rely. You've experienced the same indwelling. You know with an, an increasing experience as you walk through life, as you're in your own Christian walk, you know these things. You know this because we're not talking about some kind of proposition or theory or idea. You're talking about what changed your life. What is changing your life. And so he says, and you rely on this. And that word, I, I'm not sure why they... Translate rely. I think it's because we don't really understand the word faith anymore and trust. It's a hard concept. It's the same word. Rely. You trust in this. You lean on it. That's another, you know, when you rely on something, if I rely on you, that means I need your help. You're, you're helping me out. I'm relying on you to help me pick up this washing machine, you know, carry it. I can't do it by myself. Yeah, he's laughing because we've done it like two or three times since last month. Pick up a washing machine. Carry that thing. I'm relying on you. I trust in you. I know you're not going to drop it. I, I tell a story, but I'm not going to. <laughs> you rely on that. You find him worthy of your trust. 
And so what, do you, what are we relying on? God just, you know, in a general way? No, he says it right here. His love. You rely on his love. His love is something you know and you trust in. And so you ask, well, how do I know that? How do I know and rely on his love? And again, it's not mystical. It's not emotional. It's not something that happened to you outside your control. You weren't at, a, at some kind of preaching meeting. You weren't at a youth gathering or a really wonderful devotional. And boom, you suddenly you felt the love of God. Some people think, that's why I need this feeling. God, I just don't feel it. That's not what he's talking about at all. It's something that's concrete. It's measurable. And so I'm going to give you about nine ways you know, you know God's love. And it's ways that's helped me see God's love in my life. And it's helped you. Maybe you haven't thought of these things, but you know that he loves you. Let me give you a few of them. I, could, I, I, you know, I knew I was going to run out of time about this time, so I'm going to go through these very quickly. I don't have scriptures. I can have a sermon on each one of these. And so I, I, I resisted, and I just said, I'm just going to state them. And challenge you if you say, well, give me the scripture on that. You go to the Bible. You find the scripture, okay? You can find them. I'll help you if you really need help. But here they are. A growing awareness of my dependency on him. And that happens in degrees. It happens through your study and your thought. But it also just happens in life circumstances. And sometimes it comes suddenly, and I mentioned my brother-in-law, just dying. 56, just, they don't, they don't know, if they don't think, that they didn't find anything in his heart, and he wasn't a drug user, he just went home. That was it. And when those things happen in our life, we suddenly realize, like Rondell has shared several times, that, you know, your next heartbeat is not your own. He was a healthy young man, and suddenly, boom, something happened to him physically, and he finds himself in the hospital, struggling with his life, and God granted him some more years. Financial problems sometimes do that. Family situations. Boy, sometimes family situations hit us and we cry out with utter dependency on God. I think that's really what Jesus was saying when he says, you know, the, let the little children come to me because such as these, such as these are the kingdom, are, are the, are the kingdom of God. And I think he's talking about dependency there. As one thing that all children have in common, they depend on their parents. That's just my opinion. A growing awareness that God is for you and not against you. I, I grew up with good parents. They taught me the love of God, but there's something in our society, there's something in our history that makes you feel that God is against you. And maybe it's because you grow, you're an enemy of God at one time. And you feel that, that distance, you feel that enmity between you and God. And you know you need to come back to Him. So maybe it's because it's rooted there. But once we become a, a Christian, we need to realize, and we do realize, I think we grow in this, that God is, God's not against me. I used to think Jesus was for me, God was against me. That Jesus was standing between me and God, saying, please God, don't throw the thunderbolt at Him. Don't strike him dead yet. Give him 10 more minutes. Until I started reading the scriptures and finding out it's God's for me. God's for me. God sent his son. His son came voluntarily. Part of us, our earthly self, sometimes says, why God? Why, why did you do this? But as we grow in God, we come to know 
but he died for me so I might live for him. He lived for me that I might live for him. He's kind. He's patient. He's my ever-present help. He's for me. And tied to that is a growing loss of fear. I wanted to share with you last week. I want to hurry up and get to verse 18. This is a stunning verse. Verse 18. I don't know how long we're going to stay there. Maybe just one week. But it's, it's one of the most fantastic, thought-provoking verses in the whole Bible. We are not to be afraid of God. There's an absolute awe of God. There's a, a stunning awefulness to God. Awefulness to God and of His majesty. But there's no fear. There's no afraidness. There's a growing loss of fear as we grow in His love. There's a growing knowledge that my sins are forgiven. It's tied to this. Early in my walk, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, with, with Christ. I'm always wondering: Am I saved? Am I lost? Am I saved? Am I lost? I did this bad thing. Am I lost? And do I have to? What do I need to do to get on the right side of God? And I live the schizophrenic, bouncing back and forth life. And we spent time in First John one seven. We saw that's not how God operates. He said he forgives our sins, and we don't believe him sometimes. And so this is where our faith is when he says, as far as the east is from the west, you've cast my sins from me. Was that just metaphors? Was that just words? Or was that true? I took your sins and I threw them into the depths of the sea. I love the ocean. I've been in the depths of the ocean. I've seen the dark blue water of the Pacific that goes down fathoms and fathoms. You throw something down there, you'll never get it back. That's what he says he's done to your sins. It's hard for us to believe that. We keep bringing them back over and over. But as we grow and know, yes, God has forgiven me. God does forgive me. This is how I know God loves me. A growing outpouring of thankfulness. It just ties in right with this. How can you not be thankful when you think of that? When you think of the things that you've done that you don't want to share with anyone else. The thoughts you've had that you'd you'd just be embarrassed if if they were put up on the screen. You'd leave an embarrassment or die or crawl under your chair. You know, just the thoughts that you had, some of the thoughts you had. And so when we know that God has taken care of those things, that he loves us in spite of it, there's a natural outpouring of thanksgiving. That absolute grace and mercy of God, we overflow with thanksgiving. It goes more, a growing opposition to sin while seeking to please God and a desire to grow in a deeper, more meaning relationship with, a meaningful relationship with Him. I mean, the, more, the older I get, the more I dislike sin. I used to like sin more than I like it now. When you're younger, I, you, you, maybe you just don't know the, the devastating effects. And I'm not talking about your sins. I'm talking about my sins, Okay. Of course, we think about the sins of the world and think how bad things in the world are. Sure. And we, there's an opposition to that, of course. But let's make it personal. The growing opposition of sin in my own life because I want to please Him. What pleases you, God? That's what I want to do. I want to grow in a meaningful relationship with Him. When He says, draw near to God, He'll draw near to you. It's not talking about God's way over there and I'm way over here and I've got to some way get back to God. It's talking about a relationship there. You know, you're, you're married, you're, you have a wife, and you say, I want to I be closer to you. 
I want to be closer to you. And she's like, I'm three inches away from you. You know, we're not talking about physical distance. We're talking about that emotional connection. We're talking about that, that spiritual connection. We're talking about that, uh, that, that union with someone that I just want to be at one with you in thought and mind and direction. That's what we're talking about. And next, here, this is one, an unhappiness that I, don't, that I don't love him as I should. You ever get upset that you don't love God like you should love him? That shows that you love him. Think about it. Just the very fact that you're unhappy that you haven't grown as much as you want to, that you feel like you wish you were somewhere that you're not, that's just confirmation that he loves you and you love him. Because you want to love him more and you wish you could love him more. And you want to. And so that's another confirmation that he loves you and you love him. A growing love for his word, his teaching, his direction in your life. I'll confess to you, when I was in high school and college, I didn't like to read my Bible. Okay? Just be honest. I did not like to read the Bible. Maybe it was because all I had was King James. I don't know. I didn't like to go to Bible school. I, I, my grandkids are in here. Whoops. I didn't. I got a whipping every Sunday <laughs> when I was really young. So it wasn't my fault. <laughs> my mother texting me. Uh, she's listening. But, you know, you know, it's not that, that you have to just automatically love these things. But you grow in these things. You grow for your life. You know, to, years later as I study his word, I see things I've never seen before. It's just amazing. And I wish I'd picked it up earlier. I wish I'd learned earlier. But it's a growing love for His Word, His teaching, His direction in your life. And last, a growing love for your Christian family. That's one thing that He keeps coming back to. But there's this growing love for one another. And as we grow in our love for one another, and all the application of that, we know that God loves us and that we love Him. And again, this is progressive. It's a growth it's something we're growing in. We never fully arrive at this. We will never come to a point in our life and say, this is exactly where I need to be. This is it. I've, I've reached the pinnacle. You might think you have like I did when I was a freshman in college, but you're not there. You're go- growing in, in their direction. And when he comes again, he'll bring us to that fulfillment. <clears throat> Let me read to you this paraphrase. And I, I, I told someone last week I struggled with sharing this. I write these for myself to help me understand it. And then I'll have someone say, thank you for doing that. So, uh, because it helps them. And so that's why I continue. And we, with intense and careful study, contemplated deeply what our very eyes saw. And we now live out our lives based on the impact of that experience. So we continually bear the testimony as reliable eyewitnesses that the Father sent His Son with this commission, Savior of the world. If anyone agrees with this truth, Jesus is the Son of God, what then is real and true in your life is that God makes His permanent home in you and you find your existence in Him. And so we experience in our Christian lives this amazing love God has for us, and we lean heavily on it. Okay. Do we really lean heavily 
on the love of God? I know you do. You do. Do you do it the way you want to? Nope. Are you growing in that? Good. I know you are. And if you're struggling with that, guess what? Christian family here, we're here to help you in that struggle. You know, there's some, there's some people in this congregation that have at times just completely just, I don't know if I believe anything at all. I don't, I don't know what to believe anymore. There's some older people in this congregation have gone through that. And if you're presently younger and you're struggling with just that, that this, how does this work? How can I believe this? I don't even understand. How can we even trust this 2,000, 4,000-year-old document? How in the world can we trust something? I mean, it's been copied and recopied. and re- How can you trust that? Guess what? There's people in your family who have struggled with that and have studied that and have come to some answers. We can't read your minds. I can't sit there and go, I know you're having a problem, aren't you? You know your own problems. And so you need to seek out people. And the elders are your shepherds, and they are people who, who know these people. You can come to one of them. You don't have to come up front to do this. You can later on say, look, I'm, I'm struggling with this. You can come to me. You can come to Rodney, Mackie, Jim. I'm struggling with this. And sometimes we don't have the answers, but we can say, Charlie would help you on that. It's finances, he'll help you on budgeting there. Really? And that's what we are. That's love. That's love. And so our elders are going to come up here in just a moment. We're going to stand and sing a song. We're going to invite you, if you need to express something in your lives, if you're outside of Christ and you want to come in and experience this love that God has for you, you want God to dwell in you and he and he and you and you and him, we're going to invite you to do that. Come forward, talk to our elders as we stand and as we sing.